Merry Christmas, Jamsters. Merry Christmas, one and all. I know it not, isn't necessarily how we wanted our Christmas Day to go, with the Phoenix Suns playing the Golden State Warriors on national television, an ABC game, and ultimately losing that game. I'm with you. It hurts a little bit. It stings. And I know the Cardinals start here in about 30 minutes, so they'll probably disappoint me as well. And you know what? Such is life as a Phoenix Suns fan. But you know what? The fact that we were even playing on Christmas, that we had a game that brought so many people together. I had my dad calling me, my mom calling me, texting me back and forth about the Phoenix Suns game. That's what it's about. That's what makes this fun, is the fact that we can talk about the Phoenix Suns while the entire world, the casual fan, is watching. Yeah, there's reasons they lost this game, and we'll go over that. And we'll talk about Otto Porter Jr. and kind of try to figure out where the fuck he came from. But before we get into any of that, I'm going to bring in Sun Santa Claus, Matthew hey, Lissy. Oh, ho, ho, everybody. Oh, I didn't even have it on all the way. Yeah, come on. There you hey, go. Uh, Look at that. It doesn't, it doesn't stay, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, still, I finally got the beard going, so I might as well just keep it growing out for tonight's episode. Yes, yeah, so for those of you who are Merry listening Christmas. to the podcast, Matthew's rocking a Suns uh, Santa hat, and he's even got the Suns Santa beard going tonight. It's yeah. grown out ever so nicely, my friend. Mm -hmm. Santa's a little helper over here. Uh, couldn't really help the Suns out, but I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I feel like it's my fault. Really could have really used your help out there. So how's everything going? Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, good to see you, John. Sorry you're not here with us joining the family get-together. Uh, yep. I had to part from it to do the podcast because uh, we love you, Jamsters. We want to be here with you today on <laughs> well, Christmas. And, and oddly enough, again, I'm in a hotel room. As as some of you may know, I'm in Reno, Nevada. And if I if I point the camera this way, you might be able to see that it's just it's snowing like a motherfucker outside. Nice. So there's a freeway. There's snow Beautiful. everywhere. It's it's it, you know I'm getting my I'm popping my white Christmas cherry, if you will. It's my first time ever having a white Christmas. So, uh, but 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 here's what kind of sucks. Again, micro rant. I'm sitting here. I'm watching the game, and I'm like, you know what? At least I have the Phoenix Suns, and I know the Arizona Cardinals are going to be on next, and I can spend my day with them, and obviously with all of you jamsters after this. Four minutes left in the game, the TV starts flickering. Three minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. TV goes out. I can't even, I couldn't even watch it. I had to watch it on my phone. I'm going to have to watch the Cardinals game on my phone. It's like the only thing I had going. Like I'm away from my family for Christmas. Yeah. I'm working. I'm like, but at least I have this. And then the snowstorm is like, you know what? Fuck you, John. Fuck you. <laughs> Man, do you, I wish you had some better stories for us today, John. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's Christmas. As, as our good buddy, so says Jay, says in the chat, fuck Christmas. That is all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope my family's not watching right now. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I'm sorry. Uh, we were having a good Christmas. We were, I'm, I'm glad you guys are having a good Christmas down there in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And I miss you guys very, very much. It just doesn't feel the same without having some I know, lasagna doesn't. and everything. But, you know. Yeah, lasagna was good. Oh, damn it. Delicious. I had a prime rib today. Oh, it was delicious, oh, okay. too. So, uh, but on that note, Jamsters, we welcome everybody to the Suns Jam Session podcast. We thank you for spending some time on Christmas if you're actually watching this live, or if this is a, you know tomorrow or the next day you're listening. Hey, we thank you as well. Make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're consuming this content. And again, if you're on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button below. I am going to pop open a nice cold Budweiser for Christmas, Matthew. I'm not going to. All right, you know what? You do that because I'm gonna stick to the coffee. I do have a beer, but I don't want to go over to the beer yet. I got coffee. I might go back to see the family after. So I don't want to. 
Yeah, yeah, I've been coughing. It's Christmas coffee. I don't know. I just your mom just keeps offering coffee. Yeah, just all day keep long. Brewing, huh? Keep brewing coffee. This is my fourth cup of today. Jeez, it's six o'clock already. So I'll be up all night. Jeez. Every time your mom has nothing to do when everybody's eight and everyone yeah. sit down, your mom's like coffee, coffee. She just walks around and she becomes a barista. It's the cutest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. Rose Lissy, I love you ever yeah. so much. So, well, I will pop this one jamsters. Oh yeah. Budweiser. And although it wasn't a victory, let's break down this Phoenix Suns performance on Christmas day. Cheers. It wasn't a win for the Phoenix Suns. Ultimately, they lose by nine points, 116 to 107. Uh, You know, it was tied as the fourth quarter began. So. Matthew, I got to ask. Matthew, I got to ask, as that fourth quarter was beginning, 84-84 on the scoreboard, what, what was your mindset? at that point of the game? Well, my mindset was, what's the point of this all? Because, you know, my brother David, how he yes. just hates sports for some reason now. He talked about, you know, what's the point of even watching this game? It's 84-84. Just start out at 0-0, and whoever can get to 10 points first wins. So I'm thinking, that. I'm like, yeah, maybe this is kind of pointless. But no, it's not. It was a playoff atmosphere. And I thought, you know, this is a game that the Suns, they want to play in right now to kind of get ready for like the bigger games coming up this year. So I'm like, we can hang with this team. Of course we can hang with any team. I think the OKC game was fun because they put up a fight. So it kind of prepared us for this kind of situation, but it was all positivity. I'm like, this is going to be a good game going down to the end, whether or not the Suns lose or not, they put up a fight against the Warriors. So at that time, I'm just thinking like, if they can get the win, this is going to be great. But it kind of seemed like the aggression and stuff in the third quarter wasn't as good as in the first half. So I'm like, we need DA to be more aggressive. We need Mikhail to be more aggressive. We need these guys to outperform the Warriors where it comes to being aggressive. And it just seemed like it kind of just went towards the Warriors' way towards the last part of the game. So that's what I was worried about, really. Shit, it went Otto Porter's way at the last end of the game. I mean, that was unbelievably all of a sudden this guy starts heat checking and I'm kind of with you there, you know, like I won't go as far to go in with what David said and be like, well, why did they play the first three quarters? It's going to be 84, 84 at the end of three. It's like, because there's a lot more set up there. There's foul situations. There's all kinds of stuff. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a Monday com- mundane comment there, David, come on. You're better than that. Lazy take. Come on, David, let's see. You know, come on, get with it. But you know, where I kind of was at is again, I, I call my dad back and forth, talking to him kind of about it. And, you know, the conversation I was having with him was, you know, again, he's kind of your doomsday Arizona sports fan, right? Like, yeah, anytime yeah. you start getting excited, they're going to bring you right back down. And I was like, you know what, Dad? This is a game in December. Yes, the national media is watching this game. The national TV audience is watching this game. It's probably going to be the highest rated game of the day. But it's also just a it's, it's also just what the 32nd game of the season. Yeah, 32nd game. So it's like there's going to be whatever happens for the remainder of this game, it will be a learning opportunity, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever it was. Again, unfortunately, the Suns kind of got in their own way. And, and to your point, I think that the energy levels in this game were very interesting from Phoenix because you look at the first quarter and the Warriors are the ones who came out kind of gangbusters. They went up 33-27 at the end of that first quarter. 
but they really it, it seemed like they had more energy draymond green was really hustling the whole team was hustling all the 50 50 balls were kind of going that their way the second quarter the suns put a hurting on the golden state warriors by outscoring them by 10 35 to 25 and we seemed like okay we're right back in that kind of mode of suns basketball but then we get outscored you know, in that third quarter by four points and we only scored 22 points. And again, that energy level kind of switched. And, you know, you got to kind of tip your Santa hat, if you will, there, Matthew, to the Golden State Warriors for keeping that sustained energy level and intensity throughout the entire game. And that's what happens when you have Steph Curry and Draymond Green over there, two unbelievably savvy veterans who've been through a lot of emotional games. And you have Devin Booker on the other side who's playing in his first Christmas game, you know, so... And what did he end with? Like 13 points? It, it 13 wasn't, points. Yeah, yeah, 5 for 19. Yeah. 5 for 19, 13 points for Devin Booker. It wasn't a good Devin Booker game. And it's probably because he's navigating a lot of these new exciting emotions uh, as he looks actually right over your shoulder because your background is of, of the... <laughs> Of Devin Booker <laughs> and is. the Phoenix Suns. So he's, yeah. he's kind of looking at you like, what the fuck, Santa? Yeah, you know? I know. So what did you see from the Suns and their energy levels? And ultimately, what did you see from Devin Booker today? It seemed like almost like from the tip, it was like Golden State's energy was just way too high for the Suns to match, really. But I think they did the best job they could. The only thing is, like, when you want to go match up from superstar to superstar, you need to have Devin Booker. And DeAndre did okay today, but I think his aggression in the third kind of peeled back a little bit to where we needed him. But I think when you need a match against Steph Curry and Draymond, um, this was kind of the game where you need Booker to go off. And Chris Paul with his 21 points is fine, but you don't really count on him from scoring too much until he wants to go on his little closeout spree in the fourth. But you needed the energy match from Booker and it just wasn't there, especially with the bench in the first half. I think what they have five points from McGee and that's all they had. And then you had the, the Golden State Warriors, which is just an amount of names that you have to look up over and over again to see like, oh yeah, they're still playing the league. These guys are young and they're just out hustling the Suns bench. So that kind of sucked. But in the third quarter, it picked back up when you had Cameron Johnson really leading the team with eight points. I think they had 13 mm-hmm. points from their bench in the third. So that was nice. So you had to look at that going in the second half. Can the bench pick it up? They could. It just seemed like and it seemed like when it, the game really mattered, it just the Warriors were there. They're hitting the big shots and they were grabbing the boards. That was really basically yeah, that's what these was, games are going to come down to, right? Yeah, it's all those little things. And again, you know, the rebounding is something. It, it, if you were to ask me in an elevator speech, if I if I go down the elevator and I've got four floors to ask you what happened tonight, I'd be like, well, they out hustled us. They out-rebounded us, and uh, we turned the ball over too many times. I mean, the second chance points alone, Dwayne Rankin tweeted it out. And the last I saw was the the Warriors had 19 points off of our turnovers and 17 second chance points. You can't do that, and we know that. And, it, you know, a yeah, little bit of me was having some finals flashbacks, right? Yes. Because especially, you know, because that's kind of what happened in the, in the in the finals where it seemed like every loose ball – went the Milwaukee Bucks way starting in game three. Every 50-50 ball was just out of reach of the Phoenix Suns. The turnovers were untimely and ultimately led to points because that can be frustrating when you're turning the ball over, yes, but if it doesn't lead to points, it's correctable. But a lot of the turnovers, again, tonight led to points for the Golden State Warriors. The final metric there, let's see if I look it up on ESPN here, the Suns had... 13 turnovers, which led to 21 points for the Golden State Warriors. For the Golden State Warriors, they had 11 turnovers, right? So they only had two less than the Phoenix Suns. 
but we yeah. scored nine less points than they did off of turnovers. We lose by nine tonight. There you go. Yeah. When you bring up the finals, I thought about it when Chris Paul, I think it was the possession of the Bingo. game. Bingo. Bingo. He lost the ball. The, the crowd begins four. to rise. And I'm like, dude, I am jealous of these guys playing in a game like this because that energy seems unreal to be on the floor with those fans standing up. And a lot of them, of course, Warriors fans. But I don't I was think just thinking, so, though. It's just seemed like it when Steph would hit a three. You think they're really Warriors fans or they were just, you know, there, just fans were, of the game? There were, war, there were Warrior fans in there. I think it was, I almost feel like it was piped in noise. Because Malika okay. Andrews, who's covering the game for ABC, tweeted out before the game. She goes, it's not often that Golden State gets furiously booed on the road. It's a playoff vibe here in Phoenix. This is going to be fun. She tweeted that out before the game. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like, especially with the circle jerking that was going on between Doris Burke and Steph Curry, like I really think that they're, they they might have oh, piped in a little I bit. I couldn't you know, hear that. They, they I, got, I had the volume down. You lucky son of a bitch, man. We got <laughs> Doris here. Burke today. And Doris Burke is notorious for just like loving Steph Curry way too much. I mean, she's mm-hmm. actively rooting for Steph Curry. And the things that she was saying, I mean, there was one part where she was just like, Steph Curry, the way that he navigated that, the way that he did this, the way that he did that. Like, it was like, yeah. it, it, you know, uh, Sonia Lovato says it in the chat. She goes, man, that damn Doris Burke literally had a hard on for Steph. Shake my fucking head. And I think that the NBA, because they had so much practice in the NBA, in the bubble and even the post-bubble time period in which fans weren't in there, they probably got good at kind of leveling it out. So every time Steph hit a shot, I felt like there was a guy in the truck who was just like, uh, let's just go ahead and hit a cheer for that one. Because I didn't see a bunch of people standing and, and yelling and waving. I saw like a couple kids with a Steph Curry's jersey on. Everything else was Phoenix-based, man. I think it just it's a thing that we have as uh, Phoenix fans where as soon as you hear some go off, like some of the fans, and you just think, like, oh, great, here we go again. Because everyone wants to live here in Phoenix now. It doesn't want to live where their team actually plays, which, I mean, we won't go into because I know you have the whole LA thing and I have the whole Cowboys thing, but that's just the way it is. Everyone wants to move here, so you're going to have those fans of other teams. But it just seemed like there was a few people going crazy, and I just heard after a three from Steph. I'm like, oh, great, here we go. But it wasn't too bad. But the play I did mention before was just when Chris Paul did turn the ball over. When he lost the ball, just that reminded me of the playoffs. That reminded me of the finals when he would not be able to contain the ball with any kind of dribble drive or any kind of dish out that he wanted like to perfect and like just kind of issue like a good pass to even set up someone else on the corner or something like that. I don't know. There's just a lot going on to where I thought he can set up a good offensive play and then he loses the ball. And then I'm like, which oh, was just is. like the finals. And man. that was, was a, that was a play of the game right there. Yes. As soon as that turnover, as soon as that happened, the game was over. I'm like, you just can't do that against this team. They're just too good. You can't mess up in crucial moments like that. Uh, exactly. And again, that was the finals moment for me where it's four. We fought back to get in the game. We get it down to four. Uh, and yeah, Chris Paul just kind of makes a dumb, unforced error. He just, he tries to yeah, do a spin move yeah. and loses the ball and remind me so much of the finals. And I see a lot of jamsters talking in the, in the, uh, the chat, they're talking about how 50% of the scoring wasn't present, uh, with the, the, the warriors, you know, Wiggins pool, Andre Iguodala, you know, and we do know, that after every game though. Now with whoever's injured, like it doesn't, does it really matter anymore, man? Like whoever's on the court is who's playing and the win is a win. So that's it. And I'll say this too. The, the Suns, in my personal opinion, truly beat themselves today. I don't feel like this, the, the warriors impose their will to the point that uh, the Phoenix Suns, you know, bowed out and lost to them. I feel like, again, mm-hmm. 
the unforced errors, the turnovers, and not focusing on the boards. And, and, and here's one thing that I noticed. The Phoenix Suns tried some different lineups tonight. It felt like Monty Williams, despite JaVale McGee playing pretty positive in that second quarter, was kind of you know allowing the Warriors to dictate his lineups because they were going small. They had, they had Bielitsa playing the five, and for some reason they decided, okay, well, we're going to go with Jay Crowder at the five moments. And I felt like that was a good opportunity for DeAndre Ayton to come in and try to impose his will. And, and you know, because we saw late in the game when that happened, when they inserted DeAndre Ayton and Bielitsa was on him, they passed it to him down after he pinned him down and he instantly just fouled him because he knew he was fucked. So I feel like the the Suns almost didn't want to show all their all their cards in this game. They were trying, okay, you guys are going to run some small ball lineups. Let's try some of our small ball lineups and see how they ultimately stack up against you. Now, granted, in the second quarter, when they did that, the Suns were down by, I believe, six points, and they got back and tied the game. So it actually, there's some good footage that Monty now has in the videotape room that he can review with the team. So the next time they play this team, which is March 30th, by the way, they can actually pull upon some good uh, footage and say, hey, here's how we can better navigate these instances where they are trying to do something a little different and a little analytically based. We can now put some uh, a good some good game plans against that. Yeah, I can see that. And you think this is like still kind of just Monty working on things. And that's true. It, 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 I hope it is because a lot of the good coaches out there will do this. Like there are games where, of course, this doesn't truly matter. It's not a must win, but it's a big game you want to win in Christmas. But you can still work on things throughout the season. And when the games really do matter, you have a good game plan to go into those games. So I think he he probably does do that. The only thing is, like, I don't like it when he does try to match what the other team is doing. I think we're just Agreed. such a great deep team to where we can play whoever we want to play, and they should adapt to us. I know their hustle and energy is really through the roof with the Warriors, but we can match that with any lineup we really have out there, I think. So um, McGee, too, like even tonight, like him and Aiden, when they go back and forth, like you have a good center going to another good center. You know what I mean? So it's always something that another team has to match against. And I I'd honestly think that the way Aiden's been playing and the way even McGee will say, like, last year we would have won it all if I was on the team. You saw in the end of the game where it's like when McGee's not going to be out there, we have to have either Cameron Johnson or Jay Crowder out there. And we have to find a way to really just stick it to the other team and make sure that we grab those boards and stuff because McGee's not going to be the guy that's going to help us towards the end of the games because he's not going to be playing those minutes in crunch time. So I just think that that's one thing to look at, too. I understand, like, he can help us get there, but this did remind us a lot of the finals and what the Suns did struggle to do. So I think they need to clean that up and any kind of footage they got from this game. It was just, again, it was weird to me that you had so many minutes to your point where Monty Williams didn't have McGee or Aiton in the game, right? I mean, you have, let's see, DeAndre Aiton ended with 30 minutes played. JaVale McGee had 12 minutes. So there's six minutes that weren't played by either or of them in there. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, again, that's why I brought up the point, like maybe he's trying to put something on film so he can utilize it uh, at another time and date. But I just truly didn't understand it because you look at the foul situation and uh, you had JaVale McGee ended with two fouls and DeAndre Ayton ended with one with one foul. So it's like, it's not like they were in foul trouble and they were forced into this situation. And again, I'm probably overthinking this, but maybe... Monty Williams says, okay, they're going to go small. We're going to try to match up small because there could be a situation where we're playing this team in the Western Conference Finals and maybe JaVale McGee and or DeAndre Ayton are in foul trouble. And now you need to know how to execute because we didn't have the ability to do that against the Bucs last year. That's what killed us is when DeAndre Ayton wasn't in the game, we had no backup center. 
we didn't know how to execute and we just got stuck because instead of the the Milwaukee Bucks having the ability to try to, you know, focus on us holistically as a defense, they knew we were a zero on the interior. So they focused all their energy up on on Chris Paul and Devin Booker, which ultimately and, and both of them were hampered at the same time. So, again, maybe I'm overthinking how the Phoenix Suns were trying to execute in those moments. But I also felt those were key moments, especially in the fourth. In the fourth quarter, they came out gangbusters, and DeAndre Ayton didn't enter the game until about six minutes left, and JaVale McGee wasn't out there either. That's what I thought was interesting. And again, that's what kills us on the boards. We get out-rebounded, and the second-chance points go the way of those uh, Golden State Warriors if you're not out there grabbing the rebounds. DeAndre Ayton ends with a total of seven rebounds in this game. And on the offensive end, he only had well, he had four offensive rebounds, only three defensive rebounds. JaVale McGee ended with a total of seven rebounds. So they ended with 14 rebounds total. You throw you keep you have one of those two in that mix for that additional seven minutes. And guess what? We're grabbing probably two or three more boards. We're negating second chance points for the Golden State Warriors. And again, we come out victorious, in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah, and even like the team rebounds, it seemed like a team like the Warriors seemed to figure that out more than the Suns. Suns have always been a really good team rebounding team when they need to be. Whenever Aiden was out injured, whenever McGee is off the floor, and both of them are out, so they figure out a way to get the ball and limit the second chance opportunities. And that just wasn't the story really tonight. So, no, com- completely agree. <laughs> uh, one guy I wanted to talk about tonight. I wrote some pretty extensive notes. Uh, right off the bat when I, you know, I got, I got in from work and I started watching the game. I picked it up with, you know, what half of the first quarter to go, I Mm -hmm. guess. And I was watching the front end of it at work. Uh, Cameron Payne, dude, Cameron Payne. So what killed us in the first quarter, the reason we were outscored by the Golden State Warriors, uh, 32 to 27, whatever the metric was, what was it? 33 to 27. Uh, the Suns in that quarter had six turnovers. Four of them came from Cameron Payne. He ultimately ended the night with five turnovers. Cameron Payne had a bad game, in my opinion. Uh, you look at, you know, three for seven from the field, seven points in 18 minutes, five turnovers. What did you see from Cameron Payne tonight? Uh, not a whole lot. I had to just put this out there, you know, watching the game with people over and stuff. There's some of the things I'm going to miss. And Cameron Payne was probably one of them for sure. Oh, He's you missed. Like, <laughs> I, just like attention to detail, like the turnovers and stuff. If I saw a turnover, like, oh, who turned it over? Who was that? Oh, who made that three? Who is it? Someone else who was watching the game, let me know. I get it. I get it. Well, hell, that's you know what, what I mean? I'm here for. Yeah. So I want to hear your your notes. But the thing is, too, I just want to put out there with Payne and even Alfred Payton, the pressure that they had to put up with night in, night out to back up Chris Paul. That probably is the reason why they have these off games. And how it's just you go out there and you have to almost be perfect like Chris Paul, even though he turned that, we just talked about his play of the game, turned the ball over. But I just think that that's a lot of pressure on these guys too. So if they have the off nights, I understand, because of the pressure they put on themselves to be perfect like a Chris Paul. But if you want to go ahead and go over your notes, because I didn't notice too much, even though I should be noticing I am Santa. I'm supposed to see everything yeah. and watch all these kids every Well, tell night. me this. This is all you got to do. <laughs> tell me, who what, was Cameron Payne naughty or nice tonight? Oh, I guess he was naughty. He was naughty. Okay, that's that. That's where I'm going with this. So, you know, we talked pretty pretty extensively on our last podcast about Alfred Payton, right? And Mm -hmm. we we talked about him so much that I've actually put together 
uh, a pretty long piece that's going to come out on Brightside probably tomorrow, if not the latest Monday, talking about Alfred Payton and breaking down the Alfred Payton conundrum coupled with like, why, just why does everybody have a problem with Alfred Payton? And I'll tell you this, I would have probably liked to see Alfred Payton tonight instead of Cameron Payne. <laughs> Uh, and, that, and that's real. So let's have this campaign conversation. Look at his turnover numbers. Okay. He averages 3.5 turnovers per 36. Now, Alfred Payton averages 3.9 turnovers per 36. So there's a lot more weight to Alfred Payton's turnovers because in the per 36 world, it has a higher impact because he doesn't play as many minutes. And that's why we took it kind of to the the per 36 world, if you will. So it gives us kind of a good understanding of what it actually means. You have campaign who's got the 3.5 turnovers per 36, but it's a heavier weight because if you go to regular minutes, he's averaging, you know, 7.7 more minutes per game than Alfred Payton. He's played 518 minutes this season. Alfred Payton's played 196. So his turnovers, you know, when you look at his overall turnovers, he just he he's not a good ball handler and he makes a lot of dumb passes. And and what's what's so frustrating about Alfred Payton is the fact that you look at last season with the Knicks and his per 36 and even his normal turnovers were the lowest of his career. So we we got an expectation with Alfred Payton arriving in Phoenix that he was going to be a guy who plays solid defense and a guy who doesn't turn the ball over. He takes care of the ball, plays solid defense. He's that's your third string point guard your backup to the backup if you will our backup point guard is the guy who's having a really tough year when it comes to struggle or when it comes to uh shooting the ball and a really tough year when it comes to taking care of the ball you know you look at how campaign has performed thus far this year not going in the third per the third per third per 36 realm my apologies uh but just looking at you know the 19.9 minutes he plays he's shooting 38 percent from the field Okay, three point, he's shooting 30%. And then he's turning the ball over, you know, per game, two turnovers per game. So you're not getting, what's frustrating about Alfred Payton is he's not meeting expectations. I'm telling you right now, in my personal opinion, Cameron Payne is not meeting my expectations coming into this this season again uh, as well. And again, yeah, yeah. this is a team that is now the second best team in the NBA. There's a lot of room for error because we are playing so well. This is clearly nitpicking because that's what we do as Suns fans. We nitpick everything. Even when we're going good, we nitpick, but Cameron Payne had a bad, it hasn't had a great season thus far, I would say. And it was just accentuated on national television today. Yeah. And, um, to go back a while ago, a couple seasons ago, J.J. Redick, when he was playing for the Sixers, he talked about how M. Night, this is really random, and M. Night Shyamalan, it's a, he's a big Sixers fan, but he would come in the locker room and he would study body language. He's really big on that. And he would talk to J.J. like, hey, it looks like you are just defeating yourself. The way you're talking to yourself, your facial expressions, the the yelling, the way you are on the bench, you just... The, it's just a different look that Cameron Payne has this year. It just it's more of a insecure look of him and just his playing style because he's very slow at what he's doing right now and facilitating the ball. He's a little late on things, mm-hmm. but I would just say the same thing like that. M Night, M Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know why I thought, 
talking about him. Yeah, being a Sixers fan, talking to JJ about this. But he would go player by player and tell him what he thinks, and they would listen, get the feedback, and be like, "All right, whatever. Your movies suck now." But I'm just, I'm just thinking that if he's saying that about JJ Reddick, because I used to think the same thing about JJ. He used to be just so hard on himself on the court. And every time, like, I feel like he would need to make a big shot, he would miss. He was always the one of the best shooters, supposedly, in the league and on the Sixers, but then he would always miss the big shots. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to Cameron Payne and the pressure I was talking about earlier about him putting on themselves to be like Chris Paul, to be perfect and stuff like that, it's just like they have to go back to the way they they just they managed the offense last year the way he did and, like, Get back to just like the point five offense. So maybe don't hold the ball too long. Maybe pass it up. Maybe get it in rhythm. Maybe when you get into the paint, make a decision quicker than going underneath the hoop and then maybe turn the ball over that way. Because there's a few times that he'll do that every game. It's just like he goes too deep. He doesn't know what to do and he'll turn it over. You see Devin Booker do that sometimes. But that's the way Cameron Payne is right now. I just think that the body language I'm getting from him, man, is just he's so deep inside his head. He's trying to make this a perfect season. Which is like just chill, dude. Just just relax. All you have to yeah. do is take care of the ball. If we see the zero turnovers or one turnover at the end of the game, and you have like five points, but then like your five assists or something, we know Bingo. that you just did your job. And if we get the win, you're just you're managing it for us. Just like when Shamit when needs to come in, just knock down a couple threes and stuff like that in a rhythm to help us just maintain a lead or stick with a team. That's what he needs to do. It doesn't need to be any more than that. He's trying to be like a starting point guard next year and make that big contract or something. No, I, I agree with you. I feel like he's forcing things a little bit too much, and we've seen that kind of throughout the season. And campaign plays better when he plays in, in the flow of a game. And I felt like tonight it was it was very forced. And uh, Josh Joshua, Joshua Josh 77 says, Peyton isn't better than campaign. I agree with that 110%, but I think that Alfred Payton is more experienced and has played 85% of Alfred Payton's career games have come as a starter, which I found was really interesting. So good he's a more, him. he's a, yeah, good for him. And he'll continue to be our backup to the backup. And I'm a okay with that. I just think he's more mature. And I would, I, you know, I facetiously said I would have rather have had, uh, Alfred Payton tonight, no. I like campaign needs to play in these games. Playing this, that's why these games are important, yeah. but not overly important because it's good for experiential reasons. I just thought we had a bad night from campaign. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so um, Marcus Coffee in the chat says, disagree. Suns were beaten fair and square. Warriors played good D and made shots when they needed to. And I do agree with that as well. I definitely think that the the sun i'm not making any excuses saying no we should have won I'll, but i'll tell you this i also do believe that the phoenix suns are the better complete team and i think that part you know it games like this happen for reasons and we're just dissecting kind of what what is the why how did the suns lose this and in my opinion they did beat themselves a lot but you can't beat yourselves and and expect the other team not to you know if the other team doesn't uh, execute on the suns beating themselves it's like it's like if the dallas cowboys have four turnovers and still win the game which has happened like twice in the last three weeks. Like they're, you know what I'm saying? Like the opposition, you have to nod your head to or tip your Santa cap again to the, (laughs) uh, to the Warriors because they did execute, you know, Steph Curry had a fantastic game relative to total points, right? 27 shots, 33 points. That's like not the best percentages. And Mm -hmm. I know that, that's all they everyone wants to talk about. Oh, Steph Curry, his you know, his best uh Christmas Day performance ever, you know, but 33 points from him, 19 points from Otto Porter Jr., which 10 of those came in the fourth quarter. That was the big one. Uh Bielitsa had 10. Kaminga looked fantastic tonight, don't you think? Yeah, I was gonna say, who was the guy? Um 
it was number two, but he seemed like he scored a ton of points, but only had two points. Chris <laughs> Chiazza, Chiazza, no. you just yeah, he played eight minutes, got two points. You're like this guy's killing no, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's the difference with like when you have Kaminga playing well and you have Bielitsa who comes in. He's only one for five, but last game he showed up against the Suns. Like you have these names out there that you know you would find like even like on a Dallas Mavericks roster, just names that you would think maybe if you have like a great leader, like you have Draymond Green, who I think is, he's definitely the leader right now of that team. Uh, Steph Curry, of course he's superstar, but I don't know. He leads by example, but I think you have to have that Draymond, but I think that's just infectious with these guys. They play so hard for those two guys because they both share the ball. Steph, of course, will put up his 27 field goal attempts, but they both share the ball. They they move the ball around. They make sure that these guys are involved. They see the hustle from defense, and they reward them on the offensive end. That's what gets these guys going, and and that's why when you look at this Warriors team, like, oh, wait for Clay because you're looking at these names. You're like, it's not good enough, but they just play so hard. And it's like when you look at a team, I'm going to just throw a little jab at the Dallas Mavericks. It's like, you know, you have the Luka Doncic of the Borzingas, but you don't have a true leader on that team. No. Really to elevate these guys to a winning caliber kind of team. That's what they do there in, with the Warriors. And it doesn't matter who's really scoring for them. You know you're going to get somebody. You know one of these names are really going to jump off the sheet when it comes to scoring off the bench or even in their starting lineup until Clay comes back. That's just how they're getting things done right now, man. And I just I give props to what they have there for leadership. And I think Draymond's always been that guy. He's a guy that I wanted the Suns to go after. That I wanted yeah. them to pay him the $40 million because I wanted that guy on here that would be a winner. So... I don't know. You just have to give them a lot of props, man. They were this game fair and square. Yeah, they're a damn good team, and that's what you expect, and that's what made this game so fun. Is this the two best teams in the NBA, in my opinion, bar none, because of what you, you mentioned, pure and utter leadership. Both teams have fantastic leaders. Both have organic chemistry. You know, when you look at other teams trying to plug the pieces together to put the puzzle together that's going to equate to success, it's not complete. Whereas both of these teams, it is complete. They got the young athletic talent. They got the wily veterans. They got the they got the defense. They play the offense. I mean, it's just holistically, these are two great teams. You know, they came out on top tonight. Uh, cool. You know, we're going to continue with our season, and they're going to continue with theirs. And we'll probably meet up with them in the Western Conference Finals. And I think it will be one fantastic it's gonna series be. to watch. This was like so, game one of the Western Conference Finals. That's what it felt like. Yeah, it was it was pretty intense. It was pretty intense. Jam star of the game. All right, Jamsters. It's a reminder to let us know who you thought the Jam star of the game is. Uh, Obviously, it's Christmas, and we're not probably going to go the whole hour because the Cardinals game is getting ready here to start, and I got to figure out how to stream that because my TV. (laughs) Sorry, man. Uh, Yeah, what are you going to do? Fly over there and help you. Oh, it just make really sucks. Uh, Matthew, who you give the Jam star of the game to in this one? Um, you know, let's give it to this is actually a tough one. I want to say Chris Ball, but after that turnover, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I want to go Cameron Johnson. I think he picked it up in the third quarter. because I, I should have given it to him last game. I give it to yeah. Peter, but because Cam's my guy. And if he goes four for four from three or five for five from three, I should have gave it to him, but I didn't. Uh, I'll give it to him this time in the third because I think he gave us that little bump that we needed to get the lead. It was six straight points from him, the and one, and yeah. then the three from the corner, and then tie ball game, and then you had the Cameron Payne three after that, which is, I guess, his one good shot he had tonight. Um, but, yeah, go Cameron Johnson. I mean, he's just – he'll he'll give you that energy when you need it, kind of like a McGee does. 
So I'll give it to him because I would be Chris Paul, but that turnover was just the killer of the game. So. Isn't that crazy though? Uh-huh. It's like he not had a, such, he, he had such a great game. He closed quarters fantastically, and I'm in the same camp. I'm like that turnover had so much weight to it. I can't give the jam star to him. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking campaign as well. I actually wrote it in my notes. It was a vital part of the game in which CP3 had come out of the game, and all of a sudden the Suns were playing small again. And then it was a 6-0 Cam Johnson run capped yeah. off by uh, campaign hit that three-pointer. So it was a 9-0 Cam run. Yeah. So I'll, g- I'll give it to him because, yeah, we probably should have given it to him last game. But I think we both went D-book on that. So, All right. Yeah, let's let's just do that. So uh, next up for the Phoenix Suns, we'll be playing Monday against the Memphis Grizzlies. And what's interesting here is this is, this is also a game that holds some weight. You know, this is a team that has the fourth best record in the uh, the Western Conference. They're 19 and 14 currently. John Morant is back. Uh, this is going to be a couple games back for him now. So he's starting to get his legs back under him. Uh, excited for this one, Matthew? I am. Nervous. I was just looking at the standings. and I'm like, they lost three in a row. And then you said John Morant came back. And I'm like, okay, that must be why then. That kind of sucks. Are they losing now because John Morant's back? I hope not. I don't know. That just would upset me. I don't want them to have to trade this guy because they were doing so well. But um, no. yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, they it's lost, they great... lost to the Blazers, the Thunders, and the Warriors. That's okay. their last ones. They play the Kings tomorrow, and then we get them on the second night of mm-hmm. a road back-to-back. Yeah, you know, this is... um. This is going to be an interesting. It's nice to meet them right now when John Morant comes back, though, to get his footing underneath them. So it'll be a team that's kind of going every which way, maybe on the court. We could steal one from them because they are a tough team, man. I mean, that's what we said before the season started. This team is like ready for the next leap, are ready yes. for the next jump, right? They're ready to, to get to the next tier here in the Western Conference standings. They're here. All right. Now they just have to maintain it. And I think they have the right core. They have everyone there. And I think they have the leadership of John Morant. I just, I hope they can start winning games, maybe after this one, of course. And they can start yes. winning <laughs> games as together with Jaw there to get that MVP. Um, but uh, I'm excited, dude. Anytime you watch John Morant, we went over our, our top three yes. under 25 last podcast. And Jaw was one of the guys. He's, he's the main guy. And so I'm always interested to watch him. That was the point I was going to bring up is on the last pod, we were going over our favorite young talent, anybody who's playing in the NBA, who's been in the league four years or less. And on the top of both of our lists was John Morant. Now, obviously this is one of those games where I'm going to be rooting against him and I hope everything goes wrong for him. And I hope he adds (laughs) another loss to his column. Uh, But again, it's, it's a good, you know, barring COVID uh, scratches and things of that nature, know that this is another team that is, trying to understand who and what they are compared to the best talent in the NBA and the best teams in the NBA. And guess what? The Suns are right there. We're the best team in the NBA, in my humble opinion. We lost tonight, so we're half game back. Statistically, I think holistically, we are the best team in the NBA. So they're going to come. They're going to try to bring all the stops and all the different things that they can try to throw at us. And the Suns are just going to go out there and just kind of be like, hey, it's a Monday night, so we got to let, let's go execute. So uh, looking forward to this one for sure. Without a doubt, yeah. this is big time. And just really quick, the thing I think the Suns kind of missed on tonight were those just little kind of crevices in the game where we didn't fill them in with the energy we needed to match. Like if it was an Aiden, should have dunked that instead of you try to lay it up and and you know just miss the layup attempt instead of just dunking it. Those are the things we need to make sure we capitalize on in this game because you know Memphis is going to be ready to go against the Suns. Big time, without a doubt. So. Uh, Sonia brings it up in the chat. One of our elite jamsters reminder, if you want to become an elite jamster, simply press the join button below and, uh, join. 
and such. Uh, but she reminds us that all-star voting <laughs> is now open. So if you go on Twitter and you just put like hashtag NBA all-star hashtag Devin Booker, it's a vote. So make sure you vote for these guys, get them in there. We need the fan vote to be strong for these guys. Right, Matthew? Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Even though I don't believe in it. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's all rigged. <laughs> I don't believe it's in the voting. all rigged. It is all rigged. All rigged. Childhood trauma. All right, Jamsters, it is Christmas, which is a pretty traumatic time of year for anybody. We all have memories of Christmas's past, good, bad, and indifferent. This one will definitely rank up in one I will always remember. It was the night of the great snowstorm in Reno where the sun's lost and my TV went out. <laughs> but Matthew, I'll, I'll ask yeah. you this. Well, so, so first, Jamsters, if you're listening to this in your car and you got young kids who love Santa Claus – and still believe in them, uh, turn it off. Um, Matthew, <laughs> do you remember the moment that you found out Santa Claus wasn't real? Tell me about that childhood trauma. Moment. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I do. Um, I was in the kitchen. Uh, my mom was making, I think, spaghetti or something. We we're just having a good time. And then I think my sister Stephanie brought it up. And she brought up the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus was not real. And I was just standing there. We're just hanging out. I was probably eating some of the noodles and stuff, just standing there. And I just remember hearing, I'm like, oh, is this really like and like she it just was, said it, was, it she said it and then i conferred with my mom she's like yeah yeah he's not real and i'm like okay but it wasn't anything that was heartbreaking i was kind of like okay like how old fine. were you um i don't remember how old i think i was like um probably nine or ten wow is that too old? santa that old i'm not sure um nine or ten i was like seven or eight Maybe. i think when when i when i okay. learned i'm a late bloomer for everything in life so so now your sister <laughs> how, how old is your sister what's the what's the uh the oh so the 70 I, I think she's about three years older than me okay okay so okay, so very similar for me uh, I have a sister. I'm the second oldest of five, and I have an older sister and three little brothers. And my sister's three years older than me, so she ruined everything for me at some point in my life. That's just what older sisters do. And we were living in Moore Park, California, and this must have been 1990. Maybe it's 91. So maybe, I, yeah, I think I must have just turned nine years old, maybe. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And we were, when we lived, the, the funny thing about Moore Park, California, first of all, is if you spell it backwards, it's crap room. And so my dad used to always be like, we live in crap room, California, you know? Uh, and I remember it was a really nice property. We lived kind of in the hills. Uh, my, it was plenty of rooms for my dad's pigeon lofts. And we had a big property. We had some horses on it that we watched for other people. We had kind of this gully that ran through the property. My sister and I used to always go down in there and, and play. And we built forts down there. And one time we were like climbing up out of the gully. And we were sitting there and we could hear my mom and dad like yelling at each other, doing something. And, you know, that's pretty far off. And the things echoed in the canyon, right? And my, my sister looks at me and she goes, you know why they're fighting, John? And I go, why, Bonnie? And she's like, because Santa isn't real. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Just crushed in that moment. I'm like, you know, and, and, and what I later found out as I grew up is like that was a that was a Christmas in which – my mom bought a ton of presents. I can still tell you like everything I got for that Christmas. I got a bunch of like Terminator two toys and like really cool stuff. And I remember walking in the house and we had so many presents that night. And, and are you a, it was your family a, we, we wait till Christmas morning to open presents or we open them on Christmas Eve. It was one Christmas Eve and then the rest the next day. Okay. So we That's were it. always Christmas Eve kids. Yeah. Like it was like, okay. act like you're going to bed. Santa's here. And then we like hide in the room for 10 minutes. My parents would put everything out and then we come uh -huh. and we open all of our presents. So we, my parents didn't have to uh, deal with us in the morning, like all that stuff. So 
we did that whole rigmarole that night. We came out and we had so many. I got a bike that that Christmas that I literally drove. I, I I got on it for the first time. I started riding. I just went right to a gate in my and then I let and then I landed in a oh, cactus. <laughs> but I found out later in life that my parents were indeed fighting because my mom had spent so much money on Christmas presents for us. My dad thought it was pure jackassery. Oh, okay. Like, it's like, Dad, come on! Like, what do you want to sort of spend the money on the on the freaking pigeons? Come on! <laughs> Probably he's out of seed, yeah. dude. But yeah, I'll never, I mean... I'll never forget that Christmas where, yeah, my sister was just like, "They're fighting because Santa's not real," and I was like, "That's a messed up way to do it, honestly." And... What do you mean? <laughs> it was so <laughs> I, crushing. I had I I was trying to think of like a traumatic experience really with Christmas. I think I give props to my parents. Like I actually had good. I can't think of anything, so they did a pretty good job, I guess keeping me yeah. up to par with all the rest of the kids i guess oh, I don't know. oh yeah i mean the, me it's like yeah i always had really good christmases and i love my parents and for what they did i just think i just have funny stories around my christmases i feel mm-hmm. like i'll never forget uh, so another thing we used to do is like we used to go to church on uh-huh. christmas eve and my dad would stay home because he has a fear of crowds and we'd come home and santa would have visited and i'll never forget there was one christmas where my present this is like 1989 okay my present was a walkman and Santa gave me one tape to play in the Walkman. You know what that tape was? Any guess out there? Um, a Soul Asylum. No, this is 1989. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no it was a single. So it was two-sided. It was two versions of yeah. the same song. New oh, Kids Madonna? on the Block. <laughs> okay. Uh, God, what was the song? Poison. My sister, my sister got the same thing, but she got Tonight Tonight. And I got Step by Step. Okay. And I just remember walking around with my headphones on and be like, step by step, ooh, baby, gonna get to you, girl. Yeah, that's true. This is traumatic right now, I thought I right was now, so dude. cool. And then yeah. it's like, and then you go to school and you're like, I got step by step, N-K-O-T-B. And everyone's like, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and like my, my mom and dad got it for me. Santa got it for me because like my sister yeah. was really into New Kids on the Block. So they're like, yeah, we'll just get John the same thing, you know. One year I got a My Little Pony freaking uh, quarter. The name of the, the the pony was Quarterback, so it was a male yeah. My Little Pony. But my sister had a bunch of My Little Ponies, and you know I'm like three, four, five years old, so I got Quarterback and Slugger, and so I could play with my sister. And the big present that we shared, both of our the the, the shared present for both of us was a My Little Pony ice cream diner. <laughs> An ice cream diner? Okay. So this is what happens when there. you have a little older yeah. sister. It yeah, I know you get, the, you, get the, you get what they think you'll like, dude. That's yeah. the way it is. But I, I, I bought myself um for Christmas one year. I bought myself a TLC album. Oh, nice. Um, TLC was nice. I liked. TLC. Yeah, TLC, the silly ho, cr- crazy, sexy, Woo. cool. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I think that's it. That's the name of the sure. album. It was. Yeah, it was like their biggest album, and I had crazy, to have sexy, it. So cool. I had to show my mom what it was. Oh, nice. Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, at least you had some input. Like, my parents were just like, well, she likes this, so we'll buy John yeah. something, too, so they can play together. And it's like, we don't want to play together. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm sitting there, like, I remember that Christmas, too. I was, like, excited. I thought I was going to get G.I. Joe's or something. And I end up with, like, quarterback and slugger, these My Little Ponies. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Childhood trauma, today, Christmas John. edition. Yeah. What's that? I said it made you who you are today. So I, maybe you, I, I, I guess so. I don't know. It creates empathy in me like no other so <laughs> yeah. um on on that note jamsters childhood trauma is officially retired i'm sure 
plenty of you stopped listening once we said we were going to do childhood trauma, but those of you stuck around. We I really hope you lost two it. people. Yeah, yeah. Well, we only had four to start. So okay. um, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you for joining the Sun's Jam Session podcast on Christmas. Thank you, Matthew, for dressing up like good old St. Nick. Uh, yeah. You know, could have played. It was like the Suns tonight. St. Brick. Oh, mm. bad oh. joke. Hiya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a reminder, we will be coming to you. I've once again on Memphis Grizzly. What are you laughing at? You're you're uh, fading out a little at? bit there. You, you just randomly laughed a little bit. Yeah, you, you were getting stuck. But oh, I see the Wi-Fi. The yeah, Wi-Fi, great. I better get off this just in before time. My fucking fucking hotels going down. So uh, on that note, again, hit the thumbs up button, subscribe, rate, review. Merry Christmas, Jamsters, and uh, we'll see you on Monday, Matthew. Again, this was fun. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Everyone, go home. Love your family. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Cheers.